Hey everyone, Trista back with the second Playing Around With Playbook of the day today. So we're going to be talking to uh, guitarist, composer, songwriter Adam. So let's just get him on here. Adam Levy. Hi Adam. All right. I believe Sammy is also going to join us for this one as well. Hi, hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, Trista? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining. Sure. Awesome. Well, um, I'm going to introduce you for the Playbook community while Sammy gets on here because I think he wanted to join as well on this one. Um, I'm sure I think I saw you just saw our previous episode. Today's a special day. Mm -hmm. um, hitting every, we're hitting all our bases today. Okay, I see Sammy's just joined. Let me invite him. Okay, so for the Playbook community, Adam is a widely respected musician's musician with many featured turns to his credit. His understated yet memorable solos on Jones's album, Come Away With Me, are shining examples of his handiwork. He is an imaginative songwriter and composer, and his songs have been recorded by Nora Jones, Glenn Phillips, and others, though his writing can best be appreciated on his own recordings, including... Blueberry Blonde, Accidental Courage, and Washing Day. And Offbeat Magazine wrote, even the thorniest Jazzbo snobs can recognize his potential to pen material for the next great American songbook. And I love that quote. Um, so to start us off, I want to ask you, Adam, what have you been listening to lately? Um, let's see. My friend Anthony Wilson just put out a new record called The Plan of Paris. Uh, I've been listening to that. Uh, I've been listening to a solo bass record by Larry, Larry Grenadier that came out a few years ago called The Gleaners. Mm. And uh, a solo guitar record by Matthew Stevens called uh, Pittsburgh. Really beautiful record. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for that. So um, growing up, was there someone that in inspired you to pursue guitar? Uh yeah yeah um so my grandfather was a musician and a uh, professional musician and, and he encouraged me just to pursue music in whatever he was a piano player i tried the piano and i, I couldn't couldn't really find my way around but then when i tried the guitar everything started to make sense like the music in my head I could find on the guitar. But a, a friend of my grandfather's gave me a few lessons. His name was Jimmy Weibel, and he was, he was very encouraging to me. And what about from a songwriting perspective, Adam? Like, obviously, you know, I love playing music with you, but, and you had great music teachers, but for people who are like, okay, I want to start composing, that's really scary and very different than getting my instrument together. Where do they start? Where did you start? Uh, well, let's see. When I, when I started composing, uh, I, did st I did study at music school. I, I went to a school called the Dick Grove School of Music. And um, that was where I, I first learned that you could study composing. I, I just figured people waited around to get hit by lightning or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And that was really helpful. But to be honest, it wasn't until a few years after music school when uh, I just got a little tired of, of playing songs that were, you know, 50, 60, 70 years old and, and wanted to 
find something that I felt uh, a more personal connection with. So I started writing songs. I put a band together even before I had any tunes wow, and I, I called some rehearsals and that was the thing that got me motivated really was that these guys were that I respected were, were going to come over and I wanted to have something. So the way that I got to having some music, I guess, was just, first of all, listening to a lot of music and trying not, not so much to transcribe anything, but just to soak it up and, and then listen, you know, kind of quiet myself and, and, and listen for, something bouncing around in my head, whether it was the echo of something that I had heard uh, or something just inspired by a walk or uh, the sound of the the train going by or just whatever. Like, it was like, those, those were the two things that got me going, the, the pressure of knowing that people were coming over and then just trying to be like a radio and tr just trying to tune into things that were, in the air yeah of course and, thank you for that um, and composers was it were you or sorry from like uh, people encouraging you and affecting your style what did you find that to be like older mentors what about like your peer groups as like i don't know if mentor is the right word but who like who do you think shaped your sound like i know you're part of around a community of so many great songwriters at the same time in like mm -hmm. downtown Mm -hmm. that's, that's not there anymore. Everyone's got priced out of there, but you see. <laughs> yeah. Well, so yeah, when I, yeah, when I moved to New York and, and I was living on the lower East side uh, in the late nineties and early two thousands, there was this really magical time. Uh, and that's, I know people use that word pretty loosely, but in retrospect, it, re it really felt like this. I was living on Ludlow Street uh, between Stanton and Rivington. And at that time, the, the living room was there, even in their original location on Allen, which is this tiny little club. Uh, Rockwood hadn't even opened yet. But within a few blocks, there was a club called Tonic, which is more experimental music. There was the living room, which was singer-songwriters. Uh, there was Mercury Lounge, which is kind of a rock club. Uh, Arlene Grocery. Uh, uh, there was just stuff happening. So I, would, I wouldn't even look in the paper to see what was happening. I would just walk out of my apartment and just poke my head in in some different places. And in addition to just there being these great, uh, vibrant scenes and, and kind of mixing of improvisers and songwriters they'd all kind of be in each other's bands and occasionally be dating each other and or like sharing a rehearsal space or like it was a lot of interconnectivity at that time between improvisers and songwriters and um it just felt really fertile and yeah everybody was encouraging i mean i think everybody at that time that i ran into was supportive of original music and down to play. If you, if you had some new to people would be just wanting to get together and, and play each other's music. This was like before, before people got priced out of downtown, like you said, and also <laughs> in, in my generation, a lot of those people uh, have either had kids and so couldn't hang out all day playing music with each other 
or moved away or whatever. But there was a, a, at that time, it was easy to feel encouraged because it, it was just everywhere. It was literally just right outside my front door. Wow, yeah, thank you for that. Um, and I know that you've played with a number of notable artists and had incredible recordings with them. What would you say to someone or to musicians who have a specific artist that they want to play with? What advice would you give? Um, well, I'll, uh, I have the kind of two kinds of advice. I mean, one is <laughs> I feel really lucky. Like, I got I played with Nora Jones for about eight years, and that really happened because, I, for me, my perception was just that I was very lucky. I happened to meet her when she was unsigned, had no manager. Um, she hadn't even officially moved to New York yet. She was mm-hmm. she was just on summer break from going to school at, at North Texas studying jazz piano. And I happened to be sitting next to her in a bar and somebody who, she, who knew both of us introduced us. Actually, it was Kenny Wallison that introduced us. And that little handshake changed the course of my life for about the next 10 years. So, I mean, I guess I could say one thing is, is go out to shows. Now, it's easy for me to say in New York City, maybe you live somewhere where there's not a lot of shows going on. That's harder. But if you live somewhere where there's any kind of scene at all, go out to shows, talk to people. Um, not everybody is an outgoing person, um, but you, you know, there's the phrase like fake it till you make it. I mm-hmm. think like that is as much of what you have to fake till you make as much as chops on your instruments. If you're not a naturally outgoing person, pretend to be one or watch what other people do when they're doing it. Because without connecting with people, nothing will happen. I, I want to share one anecdote that's not my own, but just that always I think of whenever this kind of question comes up is just um, my friend Joey Barron, he's a drummer, and he had this singular idea that he wanted to play with Carmen McRae, she, a great jazz singer. And he had, he moved from where he was living. Uh, I'm not even sure where he lived before that, but he moved to Los Angeles because that's where she was. And he was staying with a friend who had belonged to the Musicians Union, and he got his hands on the, the Musicians Union book, which is you know has everyone's phone number in it. And uh, I guess he didn't have Carmen McRae's number, but he just started to kind of connect the dots. So who played bass on that one record? Who, who might? Who might? And he just was calling people out of the blue. My name is Joey Barron. I'm a drummer. I just moved to L.A. I love Carmen McRae. And he eventually did get to audition and play with her. <laughs> and my career didn't take such a singular path, but I just love the, like, specificity and ingenuity of, you know, just making it happen. And so it's not my own story, but I, I do love that story. Awesome. awesome. Thank you for that. That's um, awesome. Definitely very in- insightful for us. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about your upcoming record, your upcoming trio record. Um, just tell us a little bit about that. Oh, um, yeah. So I'm going to record, speaking of Joey Barron, 
Um, in August, I'm going to make a record uh, with Joey Barron on drums and Larry Grenadier on bass. And um, I'm actually doing a GoFundMe uh, now to to fund it. And everything I've said is kind of how I'm approaching uh, the writing part of it. You know, the, the studio is booked for mid-August. Um, I have written a handful of tunes. I want to write some more. I know with those guys, I could show up with nothing and we could still make a record. <laughs> I don't worry about that, but I don't want to do that. I, I want to show up. Uh, I keep listening to other records that they've played on to, to just try to have their sound bouncing around in my head as I'm writing. Um, think of places that they have been think thinking of places that they might go and um and listening to other trio records, either guitar bass and drums or almost any three people uh just kind of making playlists and and kind of listening stuff to stuff and and thinking about how three people could play music together in a way that um is not. Um, not old-fashioned, but also I am kind of old-fashioned. So, so some finding the sweet spot between. <laughs> Sammy knows this about me, you know. Uh, you know, just I want to do something that that feels honest and real as possible. So mm -hmm. um, that's what I'm trying to do with the writing, and uh, yeah. Of course, of course. Um, I'm sure that takes, you know, a lot of inspiration, a lot of time. And um, I'm curious what inspired you to create the Guitar Tips um, series on YouTube. Yeah, really an odd thing inspired <laughs> me to do it. Uh, a friend, of, I was have I was, I had just moved to LA. This was like 2013. Um, I, I'd been living in New York before that. I, I, I've been, I've been, my life is sort of like a back and forth across the coast. Um, but I, so I was living in New York. I moved to Los Angeles. I didn't really know what I was going to do. And uh, things were tough. And a friend of mine lent me this book about like personal wealth, you know, kind of like a, uh, you know, how to, how to materialize things, you know, through th thinking uh, about them. And it was this book, uh, I can't remember the title even now, but um, one of the things that the author recommended in the book was doing something for your community on a regular basis. Uh, that's n not a commercial thing that you're not asking for anything in return, but just doing something uh, on a regular basis for your community. And mm -hmm. YouTube was still kind of new to me at that time. And I thought, well, my community is, is guitar players mostly. And what could I do? And so I decided to do a weekly thing where I would just share something that I learned from real life. Not like, hey, here's how to play the, the Dorian scale in five <laughs> different positions, but it's more like, real life lessons. Cause there, there really wasn't a lot of that, especially on YouTube at that time. Yeah. Either, either people were showing you, here's how to play that song on that is on the radio or whatever. Like here's a specific song I'll show you. Or a lot of stuff 
they're, they're just, I don't know. I wanted to find a space that I could do something in. So, so that's how it started. And I just started doing it weekly uh, for a long time and, and sharing uh, sometimes technical things, sometimes uh, just thoughts, um, sometimes sharing things that inspired me, records that I liked or mm. books that books that I had inspired me. I should have worn my Guitar Tips t-shirt today. Very, very comfortable. Highly recommend. I know we're not talking about that today, but. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, well, that, that leads me to my, my last question, which would be, why do you feel that um, virtual platforms, Playbook and other platforms are important in today's classroom? Well, um, because that's the the medium or media that young people turn to for, for everything. And I think it helps jazz not seem like an old black and white photograph or a 78 RPM record in somebody's basement, <laughs> but like the vital alive thing that it is. Um, so, being able to listen to jazz, to watch jazz, to learn jazz uh, in online platforms deliver, you know, to somebody like me, I'm glad to listen to it on a 78 in, in the basement or look at old black and white photographs of, you know, Wardell Gray or whatever. But uh, I, I think it's super valuable to be able to, to bring the music to the people where they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. You know, we can't trash. We can't trash the record players. We can't <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Adam. Um, everyone, uh, go. I mean, this is all Adam's followers right now, but continue to to follow String Juggler on Instagram. And everyone, go please go help him finance his upcoming Trio record, which will be amazing, no doubt, with all that inspired songwriting. Um, so I'm sure he has the GoFundMe linked in his bio. Um, so thank you so much again for being here with us today, Adam. It was great to hear you speak on these things, and I'm going to sign off now. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye. Bye.